This is Tim Tapp, the ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host of Tap Into The Truth that you can hear right here, K-Star, ZMA, and the Vera Networks. Command codes verified. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you're doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Cap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and we are live Friday, June 2nd. We're in June already, boys and girls. Where is this year going? My goodness gracious, so very fast. It is the year 2023, which means madness is afoot. We are in the election cycle, which actually these days doesn't seem to ever really end. We just change the characters we've inserted into the game. Uh, right now, such characters involve Donald Trump, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, Chris Christie is now getting into it, uh, Vavik Ramaswamy. Uh, who else? Uh, so many more names. And that's just on the Republican side. Joe Biden's at play and slipped 
and fell. We'll talk about that in just a second. And uh, we also have a member of the Kennedy family uh, currently uh, looking to run for that vaunted seat as a Democrat. Bill bad for him. Uh, not going to be allowed anywhere close to what he should be because he's garnering and polling very well. All right, before we get into anything, I do want to remind everybody that Ed Brodahl's brand new book, The War on Whites, How Hating White People Became the New National Sport, is up and available on Amazon right now. And uh, just as a quick FYI, part of the reason why he very cleverly let me know it was available is because he'd asked me to write a little blurb and decided to choose mine to put on the front cover. So looking at this, although I am uh, officially complaining to Ed that I think the the uh, font was way too small. The, the type needs to be a little larger. But <laughs> he quoted me as saying, exposes the epidemic of anti-white racism, the most important book of the year. And then, of course, it has my name and a host of this fine show. So I'm really, really excited about it because it's the first time I've been on a book cover uh, where it wasn't something negative and mean. So, hey, stepping up in the world. All right. And also, before we get any further into today's show, I'm uh, going to mention uh, one of our sponsors. And I'm going to start with a different sponsor. Normally, I start with Four Patriots, but I'm going to start with Gold Co. today, mostly because our current relationship with them is in danger. We're quickly running out, and at this moment in time, they kind of feel like maybe they're not getting the kind of return necessary to continue our relationship, so they may not be renewing. We've got a few more uh, broadcasts where uh, they have full sponsorship, so they'll be honoring these numbers and, and anything involved with our relationship. So I want to take this time to remind you boys and girls, that if you're concerned about protecting your wealth going into retirement, if you're concerned about protecting your IRAs uh, and your savings accounts, diversification is important. Now, what GoCo really focuses on more than anything is they try to get you to convert your regular IRA retirement accounts into gold and silver accounts. So if that is something you're interested in, I'm going to have to encourage you to go do this sooner rather than later because I may not be talking about them for very much longer. Now, that doesn't mean I don't still have confidence in what they do, and I certainly wouldn't you send I certainly wouldn't send you in their direction. I'm already tongue-tied. It's Friday, guys. <laughs> I wouldn't send you their direction if I didn't have confidence in what they do and the fact that they can help. Things are bad out there. The economy is showing every sign of getting worse in most industries. Protecting your wealth is going to be important. We know the games they play. You don't have to play that game. You can opt out of their system. You can move your cash into gold or silver. You can do it right away. I suggest you do it before it's too late. So again, give our friends over at Gold Co. a call at 855-387-2932 to learn the three simple steps that you can take right now to protect your savings with gold and silver. Take action today. 
You've got to protect yourself. You've got to protect your family. You have to avoid financial collapse like the house of cards that the Biden administration has built for our U.S. national economy. You're going to need some extra protection. Take that action today before the White House really just messes everything up beyond repair for the rest of us. So give our friends a call. 855 387 2932. Learn how you could get up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. One last time, that number is 855-387-2932. And if you're listening to the podcast after the fact, there will be a link in the show description that will work just as well. So you can get a free copy of their wealth protection system. All right. We've got some uh, some folks lined up for today. A couple of returning guests and a new first-time guest. And uh, we're, fingers crossed, expecting a fourth guest tonight. Uh, we'll hold off before we get all committed about it because, well, you know, things happen. But we're scheduled to be joined by Gregory Wrightstone. Uh, we'll be talking about how a lot of what Biden's push in regards to the debt ceiling was really all about trying to protect his climate agenda. Then a little bit later, Mark Mix will be joining us once again, and we'll be talking about the fact that unions are finally starting to wake up to Biden's climate agenda. And uh, then a little bit later after that, first-time guest David Barker, he'll be joining us to talk about how the Fed's climate studies are all wonky. Uh, he is a contributor to the uh, Wall Street Journal. He is currently serving as a member of the board of the University of Iowa. Uh, he is a former Fed uh, chairman. He, he's got a lot of credibility in this area, and he's a really smart guy. And uh, I don't throw that term around uh, easily. Uh, I know a lot of smart guys. He's one of them. All right. So we'll be having those conversations as the show proceeds. Uh, David, of course, will be joining us in the second hour. And uh, like I said, fingers crossed, hopefully special guest in the second hour after that. Now, not a lot of time left before Gregory joins us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I only have a little bit of time, Joe Biden's little slip, trip, tumble. He was, of course, at the Air Force Academy's uh, ceremony where they were honoring the graduates, and he he tripped over what appears to be, from all reports, a sandbag that was slightly out of place. Now, I want to point out one thing, and, and at this point, I'd be surprised if I'm the first or the only person who has pointed this out, but I want to point out the media's coverage of how we're looking at Joe Biden's little fall. You see, when other presidents who were clearly in good health have had similar issues or episodes, I, I think to Donald Trump gingerly look, walking very slowly and carefully down a slightly damp uh, ramp. They made a big deal about it. That was supposed to be an indication of declining mental capabilities and possible health conditions. I mean, you remember how the media jumped all over that? Maybe like myself and Doug in the chat room, uh, Doug in the control room and uh, Arizona AZ in the chat room, maybe you're old enough to remember when a certain Gerald Ford tripped one time, slipped uh, in the rain. And he was ridiculed mercilessly 
uh, through Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase became a household name mocking Gerald Ford's one fall in a very unique situation. Now, there's been no fun being poked at Joe Biden for this fall. And that leads you to believe that, well, it leads me to believe that they recognize that that could have been serious for Joe Biden. It could have been a serious health thing. And we've seen him fall and trip and stumble multiple times trying to get onto Air Force One, trying to get out of Air Force One. He's not doing well with ramps, steps, or stairs. But this time he just tripped over a sandbag. But he could have been hurt seriously. The man is old enough that a broken hip or a broken knee is certainly not out of the question for a tumble like what he just had. So if the media refuses to poke fun, and it's not just because there's a D at the end of its name, I'm going to presume that that means that they recognize the potential damage to his health. If that is the case, then the next thing to keep in mind is why won't they talk about it? With everything else that's going on, I'm, I, I know Biden's the head of a freaking crime family. There's no question about influence peddling and selling access to him as he was a policymaker, going back to his time in the Senate and certainly his time as vice president, all the negative things that's going on. But again, I have to circle back around to the fact that trouting, trotting Joe Biden out like they are doing is elder abuse at the very least. It's criminal. This guy should be in a retirement home. You know, pat his head, give him some pudding, and keep telling him that, hey, Joe, guess what? You're president. Good for you. He wouldn't know the difference. Now, I would also like to say hat tip to Donald Trump. When Donald Trump first was informed of it, the first thing, his first reaction was, well, I hope he's okay. I hope he's not hurt. So, yay, good Trump. You know, we get good Trump, we get bad Trump sometimes. That was good Trump because that's legit. But Ron DeSantis also had a very good statement as well, and that was, as most of you know, uh, he had a tumble. We uh, hope for a speedy recovery for any injuries he may have had, just as we're hoping for a speedy recovery to the American economy and the nation as a whole based on the harm done by the Biden administration. All right. Right now, Doug is telling me that we're having some difficulty uh, connecting with Greg. I'm pretty sure should have the right number. And let's see here. Da, 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 da. Multitasking now on the air. Hmm. I've only got the one number. Let me double-check my stuff here, uh, Doug, while I continue to talk to the masses because we obviously can't have dead air. Yeah, that's the number I've got, Doug. So that's the number I was given. Let's see here. I will shoot a quick email while we're talking. Now, that's the great thing about live radio. It's always good stuff. And I will let them know that Greg is not answering. 
number. All right, yeah, and you know, I just said something about uh, all this great talk and all this other stuff, and here we go. What else are you gonna do? All right, sending them a quick email. It's such a short hit, though, that if we're late to the game, we'll probably just have to move on. Uh, and I hate that because I, I like having the conversations with uh, Greg. He's, he's a good guy. He's a smart guy. I'm saying that a lot today. But part of what we were going to discuss, and hopefully we'll still get a connection here in a minute, is the fact that uh, a lot of the climate agenda that the left wants to push is wrapped up in the reason why they were so adamant about not wanting to negotiate on the debt ceiling. When you look at how much of their agenda is designed to hurt the American economy, now they'll claim it's actually to try to get ahead as we transition, as if this is somehow a good thing, which, by the way, it is not. They even went so far as to talk about invoking the 14th Amendment. Uh, and... Uh, there was even a couple of folks that specifically came out and said, invoke the 14th Amendment to save the climate agenda. Why is climate on the table at all when it comes to the debt ceiling? It's a legitimate question. I don't know that there's a legitimate answer other than the fact that these folks just want to continue to get their way. I mean, this deal that uh, they got hammered through, that surprisingly enough made it, because I, I would still swear to you that they really didn't want to pass a bill. They wanted to be able to point fingers at the Republicans for why the economy tanked, because the worst is yet to hit most sectors. We know this to be true. I was confident that they would find every excuse and every reason not to, but what I underestimated is the number of Democrats, both in the House and the Senate, that are going to be in really tight re-election uh, bids that kind of peeled off from the party lines. There was still just enough conservative Republicans against it and just enough uber-progressive Democrats who were – pushing against it, that uh, it really did seem like they might not make it through. All right, let's see if uh, – hey, Doug, can you shoot me just another real quick text? Uh, you can do that real quick. I can catch the box. For some reason, I'm having a hard time opening up the box unless you send me a message first. I've got a backup number. We'll see if we can't still get uh, Greg. da 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 da, -da. Trying to still waiting. Yeah, it's Friday, guys. We're having a, a <laughs> heck of a time, and the technology's uh, working. Um, let's see here. Uh, just uh, just type in a letter through Skype and send me a, just a message there, and I'll catch the box. That's the only way I can get that to work. 
for some reason it's just not wanting to behave itself and let's see here no don't want to do that caption show <laughs> it's okay no wait there we go here we go here is another number coming at you we'll see if that one will work finally got something to work on my end all right now <laughs> for those of you that are listening live uh on k-star talk radio on uh, zma radio uh, over on the last frequency and at wcet uh, fm in columbia south carolina thank you so much for being here and thank you for your patience as we are doing one of the most fun aspects of having a live show and that is having to deal with uh, technical glitches live as we go. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Okay. Now we uh, we have Greg on the line with us now. Uh, first and foremost, I want to uh, thank uh, Gregory Wrightstone for joining us again. Uh, apologize over the lateness. We had a number that didn't seem to be working, and we just got a number that was working for you, Greg. So thank you for joining us. How are you doing this evening? Oh, really good, really good. Got a lot of things going on, and uh, yeah, there are lots to talk, lots to talk about. Right. All right. Well, let's jump right in because we've only got a few minutes left for this segment, and uh, I, I hate that we're now going to be cut short because the number that we had wasn't working. But we'll get the important stuff uh, in real quick first and foremost. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's talk about what's what's the the big thing you want to talk about when it comes to what's going on with CO2 coalition. Cause uh, you know, we were well, going to talk a little bit about the uh, debt ceiling negotiations and we can still touch on it a little bit, maybe since it's been passed, how much of that is still in play, but you guys have some other stuff on the agenda too. So go ahead. Well, just about the debt ceiling, uh, it, McCarthy and the Republicans, it sure looks like we were so encouraged when they, they put all of the, uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the Orwellian named Inflation Reduction Act, uh, stripped out all the all of the subsidies uh, for wind and solar and battery plants and all the rest of this crazy nonsense that, uh, that it will be destroying our economy. Um, it looks like they just put that in there just to bargain it away, and, which is what they did. Uh, but we've just uh, just finished up, uh, be publishing it in the next few weeks, uh, a new study. I know you have many listeners in the American Midwest. Uh, we have a new paper. It's called The American Midwest and Climate Change. And the subtitle is Life in America's Breadbasket is Good and Getting Better. And so this is part of a series of state and regional studies we're doing, um, looking at, at each state, each in this case the Midwest. Uh, take a look at specifically what's going on with temperature over the last century and a half or so. Uh, we find in the American Midwest study, uh, like we've seen in others, we our previous uh, studies were Pennsylvania and Virginia. Up next is Arkansas and Texas. Uh, but the American we saw that actually temperatures uh, are about the same as what they were 80 or 90 years ago. Uh, the highest, uh, the hottest heat uh, records were set in the 20s and 30s. Uh, heat waves peaked. Uh, in the 1920s and 30s. And if we look at maximum temperatures across the 10 states of the Midwest, we, f we see that maximum temperatures, are you sitting down? They've declined. They're not increasing. Um, this is actual, this is data that comes from the United States Historical 
a climate network uh, that NOAA runs, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. So we're actually taking just government data and showing what's actually happening in various parts of the country. Uh, we're seeing that we took a look at crop growth, and of course with the Midwest what comes to mind immediately is uh, corn, soybeans, agriculture. Uh, that's driving a lot of the economies in those Midwestern states. And we just see that all of the crops we looked at are just skyrocketing, providing more bushels per acre for corn, for soybeans, uh, for wheat. Um, all of these continue to rise. And it's partially due to increasing CO2. Uh, there are a lot of other things that go into it, but CO2 is probably driving 28 29% of that increased crop growth because of the CO2 fertilization effect. Uh, so just about every metric we look at, and each each area we're looking at, uh, boy, its ecosystems are thriving and prospering, and the, the citizens and humanity are benefiting from that. Yeah, I mean that's been a message that you've been preaching for quite a while now. Even before you became part of the CO2 coalition, uh, you were pointing out that elevated CO2 levels, for the most part, actually just opens up new farmland, increasing our ability to feed ourselves. So when increasing populations are talked about, that seems to be the solution. And everyone that is in the business of the science seems to actually ignore real science. So uh, that's part of what I appreciate about all your effort, even before uh, joining the CO2 coalition. You have tried to make sure that everyone can have access to the actual data so they understand what the science is actually saying, uh, all those uh, inconvenient facts, if you will. Yeah, one other thing in this study, I looked at, uh, we used the, uh, it's called the magic simulator. We can figure out using this simulation model how much warming if if the midwest had reduced all of its co2 emissions to zero in the year 2010 how much warming would be averted and then by 2100 it would be four hundredths of a degree fahrenheit four hundredths of a degree fahrenheit in 80 years would have been and that's the amount of warming that would be averted and we also looked then at well what would be the cost of going to net zero complete uh, electrification and that would be a little over $6 trillion for those 10 states, which works out to an average cost of $92,300 per citizen. $92,000 to get complete electrification to avert four hundredths of a degree of warming. And that works out to $14 trillion for each tenth of a degree of warming. $14 trillion for each tenth of a degree of warming that we would avert. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, if we're doing a cost-benefit analysis, that uh, it, it doesn't seem to make sense to spend that kind of money for so little results. Absolutely. Well, again, the cost-benefit analysis is not something that the people driving the agenda really seem to care much about, especially given the fact that their agenda is really more about control and spending money rather than actually protecting the environment. Greg, I, I hate to because we're just getting started, but 
you know, unfortunately, because of the we're, number we're and the, the constraints of the live show, we're going to have to end things, uh, and we barely got started. So we'll have to have you back on again really soon and get a little more in-depth in the conversation. But before you go, please remind everybody uh, the websites that uh, they can check out to get the information. And uh, I'm sure that uh, if anybody out there still doesn't have a copy of Inconvenient Facts, uh, they might want to know where they can get that at, too. Yeah, Inconvenient. Actually, the book was a number one bestseller in three categories back again last week, which is incredible. And uh, you, can, you could get that, of course, at Amazon, Inconvenient Facts, or inconvenientfacts.xyz. Learn more at co2coalition.org, at co2coalition.org to get the facts. All right. Again, Greg, thank you so much for joining us, and we really do need to get back together and have a, a better conversation very soon. Thank you so much. Godspeed, and keep up all the great work, sir. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Gregory Wrightstone. He is the executive director uh, over at CO2 Coalition. We'll have links in the show description for that and to pick up a copy of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know, uh, just in case you don't already have a copy. And we will get him back on, too. We'll, we'll fix things. We'll make this right. Uh, real quick, before we go to the mid-hour break, I want to remind you, our friends over at 4 they got a lot of great opportunities for you to be prepared for when the worst happens, whether we're talking about uh, survival food kits or talking about emergency backup electricity or even just water filtration, whatever it is that you feel like you need to stock up on so you'll be better prepared when the worst happens, go to 4 That's the number four. Patriots.com. Don't forget to use promo code TAP, T-A-P-P, at checkout to get 10% off everything in the store. Uh, Doug, take it away. Gregory Wrightstone here, uh, Executive Director at the CO2 Coalition, best-selling author of Inconvenient Facts, expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. You're listening to me on Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. Hollywood's little Oscar statue is now less valuable than ever before. It no longer is an award for acting greatness, but rather it's all about your pronoun or those who the controlled leftist freaks have deemed worthy of an Oscar based upon their miserable existence. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Everest Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hollywood extreme leftists have proudly announced that moving forward to be nominated for an Academy Award, you must have your leading role in any movie. A percentage of it has to be from an underrepresented community. A third of the workers behind the camera have to be from an underrepresented community. The editors, 
The shredders, the camera guys, have to be part of an underrepresented community, or else your movie or its participants cannot be nominated. The Hollywood elites defined being of the underrepresented community, one, women, people of color, which is code word for black female, LGBTQ, etc. community, people with disabilities, people from low-income communities, people from rural areas, and people of indigenous heritage. But... Nothing about acting greatness. Oh, well, there's yet another mess that Hollywood is getting itself into. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Bye now. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. These products are patented and proven. Second Skull is a protective headgear company. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Yeah, yeah. Tentinal shoppers, tentinal shoppers. Yeah, yeah. There's a cleanup yeah, on every aisle. Yeah, yeah. Target yeah, is targeting yeah, your kids. Yeah. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Target is targeting they my kids. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that break. And uh, love to get some feedback on that liner if you guys out there are digging us, uh, uh, helping to elevate awareness of Target doing uh, their dirty work. Real quick before we uh, move forward with our next guest, I want to remind everybody how important it is to have a holster that you find comfortable. Reason for that being that the fastest way to find yourself on the path to tyranny is to give up your guns. The fastest way to become the victim of a crime is to not have a firearm on you when you need it most. And that's why uh, when you are a gun owner, I myself have been guilty of this. We pick a holster that is so uncomfortable we stop carrying, then we're already at a disadvantage if the time ever comes that we have to defend ourselves or protect our family or protect our neighbors. So that's why Vanish Holsters is quickly becoming one of the most popular 
holsters in the country. Uh, they literally have thousands of customers that are saying, swearing, in fact, that it's the most comfortable holster ever, and it saves you money because it's designed to fit 99% of semi-auto handguns out there currently on the market. It's designed to work without a tactical belt, and you can hold two full magazines along with your firearm, and it lets you carry in multiple positions, keeping it that most comfortable holster ever intact. So what you really want to do is go visit our friends over at Vanish Holster. And the idea here is to make sure that you go to www.vnsh dot com backslash tapp and by doing that you also activate a fifty dollar discount so don't forget that's one more time www.vnsh.com backslash tapp get that fifty dollar discount and get that on its way to you now i want to thank for his patience uh, waiting here to get started he's the president of the committee and the foundation of the right to work and work legal defense foundation okay the national right to work legal defense foundation fantastic organization he's been on with us multiple times ladies and gentlemen welcome back mr mark mix uh mark first of all thank you so much for joining us tonight how are you doing sir well, Tim, it's a privilege to join you. Thank you for the opportunity. And we're doing fine. Um, no lack of news on our front or, frankly, on any front. As uh, I listen to your bump in, there's uh, a lot going on across the country. That's for sure. Yeah, this is the truth. Now, uh, when I was uh, putting together tonight's show, I really, really, of course, uh, I schedule folks to try to schedule about two weeks out, really thought we would still be facing down the debt ceiling negotiations because we were given a deadline by uh, all these fine folks that are professionals that it would probably be about the fifth. And I thought the shenanigans and the dramatics would play out to the very last minute. So I'm really kind of surprised that it's settled. But our first guest, uh, which was on just a little while ago, he was coming on to talk about how the Biden agenda and the debt ceiling agenda was so much tied to their climate issues. And then I saw where you were talking about how a lot of unions are kind of waking up to Biden's radical climate change agenda, too, and how it's kind of leaving a sour taste in their mouth, especially with auto uh, union members. And uh, it's actually starting to cost him a little bit of support. So if you don't mind, let's kind of start right there. I'll, I'll let you kind of jump in on the topic, because unless you follow this closely uh, or unless you are a uh, a uh, a union leader, maybe you don't realize what's really going on here. <clears throat> Yeah, Tim. Well, it's an important topic and one that is now starting to show itself as we gear up for the 2024 election. I mean, it's already officially begun and there's candidates all over the place. And so presidential politics is back on the agenda, although I guess it's never completely off the agenda um, at all. But, you know, the United Auto Workers Union, which is a union of about 400,000 active automotive uh, workers around the country, they have been reliable supporters of President Biden going all the way back to his Senate days and wherever else he were, was before that. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out whether he was in Annapolis or whether he was at Delaware, whether he was playing football, whether he was, you know, who knows. 
But the bottom line is this. Your point uh, at the top of the discussion is is a good one. And while rank-and-file union members are beginning to be very concerned about the climate change agenda and how that will affect uh, specifically the automotive industry, union officials, on the other hand, Tim, you know, they're just interested in getting the money. And frankly, there is a ton of money out there right now that's going to go toward electric vehicle transition. In fact, there's like five billion dollars that have already been you know set out and is being pushed out into the economy to subsidize this transition to electric vehicles and a lot of companies are participating in that and the union officials are saying you know what maybe we should hold out for a little bit to make sure that we get the proper conditions um, on this money when it's doled out to folks to manufacturers that are going to be building electric cars or building vehicle plants or whatever or battery plants or whatever And I think the UAW, uh, probably the most aggressive on this front as it relates to automotive industry employees, Sean Fain is the new president of the United Auto Workers Union. He comes in at a time when the United Auto Workers Union was just absolutely uh, convulsed in corruption and all kinds of malfeasance by its executive staff. I mean, 14, I think it was 14 of their executives went to jail. Um, Not many of them are still in jail because they got off uh, of part of the, the, the sentences they had, but they were in jail for literally stealing money from rank-and-file workers and basically not paying attention to the the wants and the needs of those workers they claim to represent. So I think in this case, what the UAW is doing and what Sean Fain is doing, he's trying to establish his bona fides right up front. He's talked about a big strike, a big automotive strike this summer. And now he's talking about, you know, withholding support for Joe Biden um, in the campaign unless Joe Biden puts conditions on all this federal taxpayer money. Well, I shouldn't say taxpayer money. It's debt money right now. It's creative money that's going to be pumped into the automotive industry unless they can get, like, union neutrality so that any company that gets money has to stay neutral on whether or not they support or oppose unionization. Uh, They have to be quiet about their position on unionization. They can't spend any money. Uh, during this process on opposing unionization. Um, you know, Sean Fain mentions that, you know, these jobs must be co- compensated with top wages and top benefits, and the federal government's putting billions of dollars into EV transitions without any strings attached. That's what bothers the UAW, Jim, because if you go back and look at their history politically, and I, I don't, I'm not going to have, this will be a quiz. You can answer the question when I'm done. But in 2022, the United Auto Workers Union spent 98.75% of their political money on one party. In 2020, they spent 99.15% of their money on one party. In 2018, they spent 100% of their political expenditures on one party. And in 2016, they spent 99.79% of their political money on one party. You might guess what that party is. I'll leave you leave you a, little, a moment maybe with Jeopardy music for you to answer that question. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to say, what is the Democratic Party, Mark? <laughs> I was going to buzz you if you didn't answer in the form of a question, but you're right. You're right. And so that political money is almost guaranteed for Joe Biden. The question is, what can we extract between now and when we start writing checks? Um, what can we extract from him in, you know, in this lead up to the election? And, you know, when you think about this, Tim, you and I have talked about this before. Um, the Operating Engineers Union, for example, they were the guys that were employing the rank-and-file workers that were working on the Keystone Pipeline. And the Keystone Pipeline was a project labor agreement, which means that it was only union members that were working on or union companies and union workers that were working on that pipeline uh, from Canada down to to, uh, Texas and branching out and a few other places. Joe Biden, before he was elected, said he would stop the Keystone Pipeline. But yet the Operating Engineers Union and many of the unions who had other workers that were going to benefit from this construction and from other things that were going on, basically 
endorsed Joe Biden, gave him all their money, and then one week into his administration, he puts all those rank-and-file union members on the unemployment line. So your point you know, about the about you know, the union officials kind of holding out, it's they're, they're holding out for money, but rank-and-file workers are holding out for what they're worried about is a transition away from jobs that heretofore have employed them and, and given them a pretty decent life. Right. And this is one of the primary reasons why the uh, National Right to Work Committee has been formed and it's out there trying to help fight for right to work in states so that eventually these folks can understand uh, the union leadership doesn't always have the best interest of the union members at heart. In fact, you're probably harder pressed these days to find a case where that is the instance. Uh, they want the money because they have ways of sticking their thumb in that particular pie. And uh, the people that are supposed to be getting represented that are part of that collective bargaining always seem to end up with the shorter end of the stick, despite the fact that they join a union so that they don't have to get that short end of the stick. It's all a big mess, and a lot of these folks still don't understand, uh, for one reason or the other, how if they were being uh, gauged on the merit of their own work rather than being stuck in a collective agreement with some people that aren't necessarily carrying their own weight and doing that great job, uh, they would be way better off if they weren't being drugged down by other folks. And so many people, it, it doesn't even matter who. I, I talk about this in political terms all the time, too. Uh, if you are part of a group that feels you need someone to advocate for you, you need to be very careful who you let be that voice, because very rarely do you find that your goals and objectives are actually the same. Well, that's absolutely right. And, and the, the kicker in this whole conversation, Tim, is that union officials have been granted this, this exclusive monopoly power to not only to be, quote, your voice, unquote, in the workplace, but also once they get this exclusive monopoly control, they can, comfort, they can force you to pay union dues or fees in order to keep your job. And my, oh, my, if there's one thing that will basically vitiate any accountability that a leader of an organization would have is to say, you've got to be in it no matter what I do, no matter what I say, and if you don't pay us, you don't work. I mean, that type of power, that type of privilege is really unmatched in the American marketplace. But yet here we are 90 years into this federal labor policy that basically gives union officials that privilege. And so you don't have to be accountable to rank-and-file workers if you can force them to pay you no matter what. And that's what's happened in the 23 states that have right-to-work laws, soon to be 24. Michigan repealed their right-to-work law in this last legislative session. It won't go into effect. The right-to-work law is still in effect till probably March of 2024 until the Michigan legislature adjourns and then some period passes at that point. But suffice to say this, in one of the 23 states currently today where union officials can collect money as a condition of your employment – there is absolutely no reason for them to be accountable to anybody. And that's what happened with the United Auto Workers Union, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, those guys were so comfortable and so unbelievably powerful, they could thumb their nose at the rank-and-file workers and go to Las Vegas for six months and rent villas and buy $60,000 worth of cigars and $400 bottles of champagne and hire women to light their cigars and open their and pour champagne into their glasses. I mean, this is all in part of a federal investigation, so I'm not making any of this up. This is all about the conditions that existed at the United Auto Workers Union um, when they have that power to compel you to pay dues or fees. It doesn't work. And, Tim, to your point, I mean, if you're going to join an organization, make sure that your support is voluntary, because if the organization goes off mission, you have the ability to withhold your money and vote with your pocketbook, which is the greatest uh, accountability uh, mechanism that one has in, in any marketplace, for that matter.
Right. right. That's the one thing that we see that's making a dent in the culture wars. Uh, people are voting with their dollars. That tends to get the attention of the folks that are counting on getting those dollars. Uh, Mark, uh, we talked about what the union leadership is actually holding out for. Uh, based on where things are and how Biden seems to be so beholden to the green uh, part of the party, uh, is there any chance that all this ends up being a case where they actually start deciding to withhold uh, their support and maybe they end up uh, certainly not supporting another candidate but just not giving their normal support to the Democrats this go-round? Yeah, I, I don't see that, Tim. I think this is, you know, the rank and file, Will, to your point, I think the rank and file and the, the, the people that the union claims to represent, I think they've already come to a conclusion that would would basically allow them and make them have a choice of saying, yeah, you know what, maybe we're not going to do what the union tells us to do. And we know there's a, a lot of workers out there, despite the endorsement of the top officials of the union, that do different things when they get into the ballot box. There's no question about that. But I think, you know, rank and file is going to pay attention, but the union officials, ultimately, they're going to be right there for Joe Biden. Um, if he's the candidate and the nominee on the Democratic side, they're going to be for him. And why wouldn't they be, Tim? I mean, the policies he's initiating are not necessarily helpful to rank-and-file workers, but they're extremely helpful to union officials in maintaining their power. I mean, think about the Teamsters Union, the Central States Teamster Fund, which was once called Organized Crimes Checkbook or Piggy Bank, if you will, to do all kinds of nefarious things of you know building casinos and other types of projects. They, they were basically two years from going completely broke, and yet this Congress, under the CARE Act, the Relief Act, the COVID Relief Act, back in 2021, basically allocated $90 billion to bail out the multi-employer pension funds. And the Teamsters Union, in December of last year, got a single check, a one-time check, for $34 billion that is designed to cover all of the expenses of the central state pension. This is a private pension fund, by the way, uh, for private companies. They're going to get $34 billion, They got $34 billion to pay every single expense up until 2051. I mean, if you were a Teamster boss and you, and, and you knew that your pension was going to go broke and all the p pensioners that you promised all these great benefits to were going to have to go hungry after Obama passed the law that allowed them to reform temp uh, pension funds and reduce the amount of payments that were out there. That was Obama's project. Now Biden says, yeah, now they've all gone broke. Now we're going to bail them all out. And literally $34 billion check to one union. If you look at their financial statement at the pension fund, you'll find that they had basically, I think, $4 million left in benefits or something like that, $4 billion. And that was, that was basically two years of benefits. Um, and then they got a $34 billion windfall from the taxpayers of the United States of America. Yeah. yeah, it certainly seems like a good deal for somebody, uh, but uh, the uh, taxpayers and the actual rank-and-file union members, not so much. Uh, last time you were on with us, we actually did discuss what, uh, why there still seemed to be so much union support given how – uh, lip service to the union uh, this administration likes to offer up. They like to pay plenty of lip service, but all the policies seem to work against almost every major union in the country, uh, at least the membership, I should say. Uh, it's important to be that specific. Uh, does this – if the leadership continues down the road, are you seeing any signs – on the front lines that maybe uh, the unions themselves may be in danger just because the rank-and-file membership may finally start trying to uh, find a way to divest from the unions themselves. 
Yeah, I think they will. And I think that's, you know, when you think about Sean Fain being elected to United Auto Workers, he defeated the incumbent president, Ray Curry, in what was a really interesting election. It was the first time that the United Auto Workers Union rank and file had had a chance to vote on their leadership directly. It had always been delegates that were picked by the Ruther organization going all the way back to the 1930s. And so this, when the workers finally got to vote, they did vote in this Sean Fain, but he, as I mentioned earlier, has got to, you know, establish his bona fides and the fact that he's a tough guy and he's much more radical, I think, than Ron Curry was. But I think the United Auto Workers, rank and file workers, were looking and saying, you know what, we got to do something different. The same thing happened with Sean O'Brien at the Teamsters Union. I mean, he was not a Hoffa pick. He was the outsider, if you will, and the rank and file workers there said, you know what, we want to try something different. And I think a change in leadership is kind of a, a pretty clear signal that there's unrest among the, among the rank and file, and they're starting to think about these types of things that you're mentioning. And so that, that's a sign that the rank and file is getting antsy. The question is, how difficult is it for them to change leadership, and how beholden is the leadership they just elected to a guy like Joe Biden? And I think that answer is they're still very beholden to you know the Democrat Party, and particularly to Joe Biden. So at the end of the day, you'll see the unions coming in. I would say again, uh, UAW coming in. Let me let me predict. 99.25% of their money will be spent on one party, and they will endorse ultimately Joe Biden for president if he's still the candidate or the nominee. Yeah. All right, Mark, uh, we've just got a few minutes left uh, in our time together tonight. Uh, any big news going on over at the National Right to Work Committee that uh, you want to share with uh, the audience before we uh, start saying our goodbyes? Yeah, there was a big Supreme Court case that was decided on Tuesday, or let's see, what's today? Today's Friday, so I think it was on Wednesday. They made a decision in a case called Glacier Northwest, which was a, a lawsuit that was filed by a company when the Teamsters Union went on strike at a cement ready-mix plant out in Seattle and took the trucks. They took the trucks out to deliver. They got loaded up. They took them out for delivery, but this was a well-planned labor action where the, the drivers turned around and came back into the yard and left the trucks unattended in the yard with the cement in there and basically intentionally caused destruction of property. Uh, the employer there went to court in, st in the state of Washington saying this was a tort. It was a, you know, they destroyed property intentionally and I want relief. And all three courts, the trial court, the appellate court, and the Washington State Supreme Court said, you have, we have no jurisdiction. You can't enforce this against the union because the NLRB has jurisdiction. The Supreme Court came down in, and get this to him, an 8-1 decision where Ketanji Brown was the only dissent saying, wait a minute, you don't, we don't think this is right. You take that back and you figure it out that there is, you know, the NLRB can't block litigation when it comes to intentional uh, destruction of property. We need to rethink this. And the Supreme Court, while they didn't decide it and say that the court had decided a certain way when it sent back to Washington, it was a real victory for, you know, small business people and workers and, and those companies that are basically held hostage by violence, intimidation, and property damage by unions. And Sean O'Brien, the president of the team Union, was outraged. His, his head blew Blew up because he said this was a, an attack on workers uh, and the right to strike. It had nothing to do with the right to strike. That's protected under federal law. What it had to do with the unions getting an additional privilege to be able to destroy your property in order to leverage you to accept unionization or their terms and conditions. Ridiculous. Outrageous. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're back to the essentially the tactic of walking up and saying, "Yeah, that's a nice cement truck you've got there. It'd be a shame if something <laughs> happened to it." Uh, the uh, the extortion right. level is ridiculous. All right, Mark. Again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. As always, it's it goes by way too fast because you always bring such great information, and, and it's usually a fun conversation too because we get to dig into the weeds a little bit. Uh, before you go, please feel free to share all those websites that you want to. 
get out there. And as long as you're inviting folks to follow you on social media, feel free to share any of your handles on whatever platforms you'd like as well. All right, Tim, thanks. Well, they can find us if they have questions about their legal rights in the workplace and are interested in getting some some free legal support. If they want to exercise those rights, they can go to the National Rights Work Foundation, which is nrtw.org. That's where they can get questions answered or could talk to an attorney if they want to about their rights in the workplace. If they want to know about legislation, what's going on in Washington or in their state capital around the country, they can go to nrtwc.org. That's the National Right to Work Committee, and they can figure out what's going on in their state or what's going on in Congress and what we're tracking at the time. So we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Right to Work, uh, I think I, I'm not sure what the exact handle is because I don't tweet and I don't post, but uh, someone in our operation does, and so we're out there for sure. All right. Uh, once again, thank you, sir. Keep up all the great work and uh, look forward to our next get together. Uh, hopefully it will be sooner rather than later. And I definitely hope it'll be good news rather than questionable news. God speak to you, sir. Thank you, Tim. You too. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Mark Mix. He is the president of the National Right to Work Committee, as well as the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Uh, we will put links in the show description for the folks listening to the podcast later on, just in case you missed it or we talked a little too fast or what have you. All right. With all that said, we are quickly approaching hour number two. Isn't it amazing, Doug, how fast an hour goes by? When you're having a good conversation. It does. It goes by real quick. It, it, it would have been smoother if I could have got Greg the first time instead of trying different numbers. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's stuff happens, though, man. I mean, we were talking about that before we even got started. And it's a good thing that listeners to the show uh, understand and are very, very forgiving of it because I've had more than my fair share of stuff happening. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's look to go ahead and reset the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts in just a few brief moments, and we will be diving headlong into the weekend full force with Tap into the Truth. Come right back. I'll be right here. This is Matt Fitzgibbons from PatriotMusic.com, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. This is Tim Tapp, the ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host of Tap Into The Truth, that you can hear right here, K-Star, ZMA, and the Vera Networks.
and you're listening to Tim Tap. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our number two of Tap into the Truth. It's we are live, and uh, thank you, Amy, for that rather excited rendition of uh, reminding everybody who we're listening to. Uh, I gotta love that. Uh, she, all part she of blew the my ear out. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Doug had to take his headset off. He, obviously, he's got the volume up high enough to hear everything, and it's a little too loud for Amy right there. All right. Wish all you guys uh, were as excited as Amy seemed to be right there. I certainly hope you guys enjoy uh, listening as much as I enjoy talking. Uh, and, man, do I enjoy talking way too much, some would suggest. All right. We've still got uh, some action coming up as we are scheduled to be joined by Mr. David Barker here in just a little bit, a former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, as well as a partner at the Barker Companies. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Fed's climate studies uh, here in just a little bit with him, because obviously that's something that he's had to keep an eye on as well. The point is that the government's reaction to the climate is much like its reaction to literally everything else. They have an opportunity to find a way to cudgel uh, American citizens and take our money while they're at it and waste it, line their own pockets. Then they're going to jump on it. Now, speaking of money and how government's very bad at dealing with money and fiscal policy is negative, going to remind you one more time about our friends over at Gold Co. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer they're going to be associated with the show. Uh, if you guys do make the phone call and do something, that might increase their longevity here. But whether they do or not, it is a good idea to protect yourself. So if you've got an IRA currently, but you don't have any of it divested into precious metals, Gold Co., that is what they specialize in. So if it's something that you've just thought about, something that you were thinking, maybe I should do that, they're a great place to start, at the very least, to at least gather the information, get an idea of what is involved and how you can go about doing it. Because uh, let's face it, this group of folks, this uh, federal government in particular, this administration, uh, they're not worried about us, guys. They are worried about themselves and their friends. But we can at least move to a point where we're not playing their little game anymore. You can move a big chunk of your cash into gold and silver. Uh, you know, as much as you're comfortable with divesting and expanding and having yourself invested in multiple areas is always a good idea. And I can tell you precious metals are never worth zero. I can't say the same thing with certain stocks. Uh, in fact, there's several stocks that have been in my portfolio that today are worth less than zero. So uh, the real lesson there is 
never take stock advice from me. Anyway, what you can do, though, is give our friends over at Gold Co. a call and find out what's going on. See for yourself. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Tim, you keep saying give them a call, and you have yet to tell me what the number to call is. Well, okay, you're right. Good point. That number, of course, is 855-387-2932. I'm watching Doug as uh, our ship is sinking over here. He's now reenacting the value of my portfolio, I'm afraid. But uh, again, give our friends GoGo a call. That is 855-387-2932. You can learn the three simple steps that you can take right now to protect your savings with gold and silver. Move now to take advantage of the opportunities to protect yourself, protect your family from financial collapse. You can only do that uh, if you Take your time to do the research. These folks, they've got a bunch of five-star ratings. I trust that they can do what they say. So even if they do end our relationship as a sponsor of the show, these are folks that you're not going to regret doing business with if you're in a position to transition your IRA. One last time, that number is 855 855- Three eight seven two nine three two. Don't know how much longer that number is going to be active if they do decide to discontinue our relationship. So go give them a call sooner rather than later. You really don't want to get caught on the wrong end of this. All right. Now I am peeking at the clock. I got about five minutes left. Well, about four, five. Okay, I'm getting different signals now from the control center. We've got about four minutes and a certain number of seconds before it's time to bring uh, David on. So again, I'm going to point out that so much of this climate change hysteria has been utilized as part of the argument for the Great Reset. So much of it has been utilized as a way to drive fear into the hearts of children. And again, just like with all the other culture war crap that they push, they're targeting children now because they know they can have more of a in-depth, long-term uh, impact on children. And it's a lot harder to deprogram them if you have deeply programmed that fear into them. That's why they – trotted out Greta Thunberg when uh, she was still a minor child because you were supposed to understand how frightened the children are. And you were supposed to feel bad that children were scared. It made me angry. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm like, what the crap are the parents of these children telling these kids? What the crap are the teachers of these children telling them that they've got them so frightened that they honestly believe AOC when she comes out and said, we've only got 12 years left. And that was, what, eight years ago now? Something like that. Uh, uh, there's no reason for these kids to be worried. They're not going to be around long enough for anything to happen to them if AOC was correct. And thankfully, we all know. She's not. Fear is a major tool that they use. Confusion is a major tool that they use. And no matter what else is done or said, we have to keep in mind that they are targeting the children because children are an easy target. They're still young and impressionable, and they still want to believe in all the things that their authority figures tell them. And that's what makes what they're doing so dangerous. So whether we're talking about climate, whether we're talking about any other aspect of the culture war, 
it is just that simple. Fear is what they're trying to instill so that they can get good little automatons that are never going to question them. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we do have with us on the line now uh, today's first guest of the second hour. He is a former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. He is a partner in the Barker Companies, and he is also you know, he doesn't just limit himself to the financial world. He is also a Board of Regents member uh, for the uh, state of Iowa. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show first-time guest David Barker. Uh, Mr. Barker, sir, thank you so very much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, it's always an honor to, to have somebody new uh, enter the hollowed halls here, tap into the truth. And uh, I'm always somewhat amazed that people are willing to come spend uh, part of their weekend uh, talking to me because, you know, I never see myself as being that big of a deal. But, hey, uh, folks keep doing it. So I'm going to keep asking them as long as they do. So thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, uh, we've been talking a lot tonight, especially back in the first hour with how climate change and how the government has been utilizing uh, the fear uh, to both garner a certain amount of control and to try to manipulate where funds are going, taking taxpayer dollars, moving here and there. And it, it seems to be a concerted effort. But it's not just the government. Uh, we now see the Fed uh, trying to pursue policies that would also help promote the idea that man-caused climate change is one of those existential threats rather than something that can be mitigated or watched without being in panic mode. And uh, they've got some brand new climate studies out that a lot of folks are questioning, and you're one of those leading voices as well, basically saying that uh, their climate studies are pretty much full of hot air. Uh, what exactly are we looking at, and what advantage does the Federal Reserve have to try and promote this idea, given that its current level of credibility is already pretty low in most people's mind? Well, yes, that's that's true. Well. The Federal, the Federal Reserve has plenty of things to worry about at the moment. Uh, we've got inflation. Uh, we have had some bank, uh, uh, bank failures. And you would think that the Fed would be focusing on that. But they have had quite a few of their 400 economists uh, working on climate change. Uh, they've had conferences uh, on the subject. Uh, they've produced a lot of documents. And they've uh, started pushing banks into uh, doing climate audits to see how much uh, their portfolios are at risk from, uh, from climate change. But you're right. What I looked at were some of what their uh, research economists uh, were uh, putting together, trying to prove that uh, higher temperatures would lower the rate of economic growth. Is that, uh, that really doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, does it? <laughs> No, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, you know, I just for just from a common sense standpoint, you know, we know that Florida has had stronger economic growth than Michigan over the last uh, several decades, and uh, Florida is a lot warmer than Michigan. Uh, so just at kind of first glance, it doesn't seem right. But the reason it's important is that the the best science on the effect of climate on the economy. 
Uh, now, and I'm not saying that it's correct, but this is the best we have, is uh, from uh, William Nordhaus, who won the Nobel Prize for this work. And he found that if we don't do anything and let, you know, and, 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 and let's say that temperatures rise over the next, uh, you know, over the rest of the century until the year 2100, then in the year 2100, the world will be a few percentage points poorer uh, than it otherwise would be. Well, that's trillions of dollars, but if we have normal economic growth between now and then, we will all be five times richer than we are now. And so what Nordhaus finds really is that we would be maybe 4.9 times richer instead of 5.1 times richer, and that's not a catastrophe. So what the Federal Reserve uh, economists were trying to do was to say, no, no, it's going to affect the rate of economic growth. And so we won't all be five times richer in the future. And no one has ever shown that before. Well, before this wave of studies, uh, some Federal Reserve and some not, I'm going after all of them, uh, but uh, trying to show that it would affect the rate of economic growth. And it's just wrong. Uh, I looked carefully at the economic assumptions, the statistical assumptions in those studies, and they just fall apart when you take a close look at them. But nobody's taken a close look. I mean, the, one of these papers was uh, published in a peer-reviewed journal that's supposed to have scrutiny, and it clearly didn't. You know, the mainstream press gave these papers glowing coverage at how, you know, how great this work was and how important it is. And then when I published my critique showing that they were wrong, of course, there's very little interest on the part of the press, although... I was very happy with the Wall Street Journal uh, that they published my op-ed summarizing the research. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is good that somebody recognizes that at least a counterpoint needs to be presented, especially if that counterpart happens to be correct. I think the most disconcerting aspect of this whole uh, premise, however, is that every potential solution that's been offered up from uh, private sector areas as well as from the government uh, would actually be way more harmful to most economies around the world than just continuing and looking to find new ways to mitigate and develop new technologies to overcome uh, our current uh, ecological uh, potential issues. Uh, is that a fair statement uh, in regards to how you've seen how things stack up from an economic standpoint? Well, I think so. Uh, power sources like solar and wind are inherently less reliable than others that we've been using. I mean, you know, the sun doesn't shine at night and the wind doesn't always blow. That's why I say inherently less reliable. Um, and power energy is crucial for an economy. Uh, we have to have reliable power if we're, we are to grow economically. Uh, so, yes, uh, I think absolutely a lot of these solutions have the potential to be far more harmful than the economic harm that's ac ever been uh, demonstrated as possible from climate change. Right. So essentially, we're only getting half of what an actual economic analysis should be giving us. Uh, when you look at something like this, cost-benefit is supposed to be looked at, but they're only looking at the benefit 
of what they believe would happen, but they're not actually looking at the cost of how to get there. Well, what's the path to getting there? Is it even viable? I mean, if you're worried about the environment, uh, don't you have greater concerns about having an all-electric fleet everywhere based on the harm you're doing trying to get all the zinc you need for the batteries? Uh, isn't that going to end up costing more damage than just running fossil fuels? Uh, is is there just not enough people uh, making sure that there's a true understanding of that across the board that when the technology is ready, we won't need to be pushed? It, I mean, we've seen that happen lots of times throughout history, right? Yes. I think that was an excellent way to put it, that we only get half of the analysis that we ought to. Um, Cost-benefit uh, cost analysis is a great thing if you, as you say, look at both the costs and the benefits. But w very often, uh, the costs of something are absolutely ignored. So you're 100 percent right. Um, and, uh, yes, and, and very little is done to look at the overall cost of a lot of these strategies. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it, we do seem to be in a position where somebody adopts a position, then they have created the narrative, and then they just seek out whatever bit of information supports their narrative, and they don't even want to have the discussion. I don't know of anybody that is against advancing technologies. I don't know of anybody that is against uh, having a greener planet if we can uh, do it safely. What I I see is people trying to apply common sense and understand that it has been through uh, the continued advancement of strong economies, which is heavily reliant on cheap, reliable energy. Uh, it's through that economic advancement that we're able to elevate the quality of life for everyone across the planet and that – a lot of what's being suggested here and a lot of the information that's being shared through some of these analysis uh, actually would require us to take steps backwards, thereby reducing quality of life, right? Right. And uh, what you said was, was exactly right, that uh, when, when a technology is efficient and makes things better, uh, free markets adopt those technologies. Now, the counter argument to that is externalities, uh, uh, some uh, uh, technology that uh, causes harm to others that isn't priced in the market, and that's what people claim for climate change. But I think that the work that I've done helps to demonstrate that uh, uh, there is no catastrophic economic cost uh, to climate change that we can certainly afford to wait and see what technologies actually make sense in the marketplace instead of heavily subsidizing things that might or might not pass a, a cost-benefit test. Right. Well, I, I guess I have to circle back around to the question of what exactly is it that the Fed itself has to gain by promoting this type of, uh, I guess, 
I guess calling it a narrative as opposed to uh, factual research really seems to be uh, apropos. What do they have to gain? Is this about continuing and strengthening current relationships with governments and certain private industries that stand to gain? Uh, Or is there just something inherent here that would actually benefit the Fed as a standalone thing uh, outside of this? Because I just – I don't understand why the Fed would be supportive of this idea, given the fact that we know they have economists there that they do the cost analysis. They, they do the, uh, the benefit analysis. They know the truth here, and yet they still promote numbers that are only one-sided. Well, I think like any bureaucracy, uh, the Federal Reserve is trying to gain influence and trying to protect it's uh, the influence that it has. And so when it sees a popular political issue or something that it sees as a popular political issue, it tries to take advantage of that. And, you know, you want to jump on the bandwagon of anything that uh, works politically. Uh, they saw climate change as uh, something popular uh, and thought that they would make their institution more relevant and more popular by joining in and showing that it could contribute to uh, climate science. Uh, and, and no one to, and, and, you know, that's an interesting question of whether they know that the analysis is wrong. Um, I think that there were some economists who did some sloppy work, uh, who probably wanted, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm not, I can't be sure of this because I don't know the economist who did it, but may have, uh, been inclined to, uh, accept certain results without questioning uh, certain assumptions or without testing them carefully, where if they had found the opposite results, they might have kept on trying new specifications until it changed. Sometimes that happens in in economic research. Uh, And uh, so there's just this kind of bureaucratic and political incentive to, uh, you know, get on board uh, this particular uh, cause. And uh, so I, I'm, and, and then others, I think, failed to question this research, and never, no one took a close look at it uh, until I did. And uh, so, because no one has an incentive uh, to do that. Well, I'm certainly glad that you did, sir. Uh, we need more uh, brokers out there that are. And I I don't want to use the term honest broker here because I don't want to imply dishonesty. Uh, My implication earlier, uh, I wanted to make sure that we know that they have people that can do the job, and it feels as if they they weren't dishonest with the information they had. They were just uh, very selective about which part of the information they shared, and that in and of itself is probably just as arguably a form of dishonesty. But it certainly seems to be the case. Uh, But I'm glad we've got folks out there that are trying to make sure that the full picture is being painted because as an American citizen, we need to have all the information to make what is commonly called informed decisions. We we can't be informed if we don't have that information. So I appreciate your efforts along those uh, marks. Uh, Any final thoughts before we say our goodbyes that you would really like to share with the public? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I agree with you that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not accusing anyone of uh, dishonesty, but uh, it is often human nature to uh, uh, maybe sometimes uh, uh, fail to question things as much as you would have if uh, you're reaching a conclusion that you wanted to reach anyway. Um, you know, my work was published in uh, Econ Journal Watch, which is a, uh, a peer-reviewed academic journal that critiques articles that are published in other peer-reviewed journals. And I think we need more of that kind of questioning of uh you know what we're uh, what we're told all right absolutely well sir uh real quick uh feel free to share any websites that you would like uh, folks to uh to go visit and if you're inviting people to follow you on social media anywhere i know a lot of folks have just gone away from that but if uh, you've got some uh, handles out there on different platforms you'd like to share feel free to to just throw out basically any and all of that kind of thing right there you want the listeners to know Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, you can look for my piece in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, just look for my name, David Barker, Wall Street Journal. Uh, uh, climate studies of the Fed are full of hot air. Uh, and you can find that op-ed piece. And then uh, you can go to uh, Econ Journal Watch, uh, just Econ J Watch uh, on the uh, Internet, and you can find uh, my research there and uh, plenty of uh, other uh, articles that critique uh, papers written in other academic journals. All right, sir. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. And uh, I've enjoyed our discussion. I hope we can get together and uh, talk again sometime soon. Well, that would be great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Mr. David Barker. Like I said, former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank uh, out of New York, a partner in the Baker Companies, as well as serving on the Board of Regents in the state of Iowa. Uh, He's got a full plate, and he's obviously trying to uh, keep everybody honest. Uh, And, you know, I I think we do sometimes jump to conclusions. And I think this is a great point, uh, a great time to make that point. We we jump to conclusions. We assume people have nefarious intentions, whereas sometimes maybe it really is just a case of I'm looking for my biased confirmation. Okay, here it is. And now I'm going to share that. Not everybody that shares a bit of incomplete information, really has evil intentions. And it would serve us well to keep that in mind. I know uh, most people that uh, run a show like this, they keep their fans happy by throwing bombs and just calling everybody names. And, uh, you know, that's never really been my thing here. Uh, But every now and then, I think we do need to remind ourselves, because it would be real easy to say, hey, guys, it's the Fed. What do you think's going on over there? Well, I think these folks are, um, I think very much like uh, David said, they're they're trying to ingratiate themselves and continue to maintain a certain level of credibility that may be waning a bit. They've kind of fallen out of favor over there at the Fed with the the Biden administration because they keep raising those interest rates. That's going to make the economy not as good as they would like to lie and tell the American people it is. And they certainly don't want to admit that a big part of that inflationary issue has a lot to do with almost every policy, energy or economic wise that uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has signed into uh, into existence, either through executive order or actually managed to get passed through Congress. So we we need to keep these things in mind. Oh, no. Our special bonus 
uh, guest may not be joining us. We're still not sure. But uh, well, fingers are still crossed. Hopefully we'll get him on the back side of uh, the hour. But if not, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Not for the first time. We'll spend some quality time just you and me. And meanwhile, I do want to remind everybody before we go to the mid-hour break about our friends over at 4 you see, Four Patriots, they're really an awesome company. I The more I get to know these guys, the more of their stuff I, I get to use, the more conversations I get to have with Eric uh, down in the headquarters. Based actually out of Nashville, uh, so it's a, a home state kind of company. I feel like we should be natural partners. So I wholeheartedly recommend that you visit them if you need anything to be better prepared in the event that things go south. Everything from survival food to backup emergency power, and I keep going back to the water filtration because that's really the next thing that I need to add to my supply list. Uh, I've been kicking it with my Patriot Power sidekick uh, that we've been testing. Doug right now has got his uh, uh, solar lights uh, lamp right there. He's uh, showing it uh, to me uh, from the control room. So uh, these are some folks that are doing good stuff, and what really, really sets them apart from anything else so sponsoring the show no that's that's just what sets them apart for me they stand behind their products too it's good stuff and you just have to read the descriptions and know what you're getting because every complaint i've heard regarding to them is when they thought they were getting something that that was never what was claimed i have not seen very many uh, if any actually complaints uh, that are uh, been posted anywhere where they actually had a problem with the product itself. It was always – it wasn't what they thought they were getting, and it always came from not properly reading the description. Like the Sidekick is basically just a storage battery. You know, it, It's not a generator. So if you thought you were getting a solar generator when you got the Sidekick, well, then of course you're going to be disappointed because that's not what that is. Uh, but I, what I got to tell you is I finally ran down uh, my – a sidekick and here i am i got it all the way down to zero and then i had like four days in a row of overcast and I, my patience ran out so i just charged it the traditional way and much to my surprise it took less than two hours on dc power to charge it back up to a hundred percent and it has not dropped a bit since then, and this happened just a few days ago. So I'm just – I'm still in awe, and I will run it all the way down again, and we will test how long it takes to uh, charge it on solar. Uh, it's great stuff. But with all that stuff having been said, and we really got to get to the mid-hour break, so I need to wrap this up. Go see for yourself. Check out everything they've got to offer. Go to 4patriots.com. That's the number four patriots.com and if you decide to make a purchase and i hope you will because they've got great stuff be sure to use promo code tap at checkout that's t-a-p-p at checkout for patriots.com i can't recommend them enough i'm loving this stuff and uh, we'll talk more about them later meanwhile doug you know what to do I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. Right here, right now. 
If you don't believe the House and Senate are governed by a uniparty, then I don't know what to say, other than American voters have been screwed again. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Rather than govern on behalf of the will of the people, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy kowtowed to Democrat communist Akeem Jeffries. The uniparty budget bill allows for unlimited spending while pretending to hold down the debt. By the time Trump takes office in January of 2025, assuming there will be fair elections, the McCarthy Jeffries debt spending approval bill will most likely balloon the debt to $38 trillion making it impossible for the lowering of taxes in order to reinvigorate the U.S. economy. Uncle Joe Biden now can give unlimited assistance to China's economic advantages over the United States while ensuring the financial beatdown of the once mighty U.S. greenback. And that's just for starters. The McCarthy-Jeffries uniparty bill has baked in much more government abuse of we the people while doing away with economic and moral logic. May God save us from utter oblivion. I'm Ron Edwards. Bye now. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. In other words... Put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. Under just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof, 
We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. This is Matt Fitzgibbons. This is Amy Hallam. This is AZ. Sharing the night together. Sharing the night together. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are sharing Friday night together, and I hope you are just at the beginning of a fabulous weekend. I I really do, and I I know I usually echo that sentiment almost every Friday night, but that's because I really do mean it for every freaking weekend. I know we can't all have a great one every time, but I certainly hope that you do, just as much as I'm hoping that I will, although – I'm actually going to be working at the day job on Saturday, which is uh, not a thing that often happens. But uh, you know what? I happen to like my day job. So I will happily go do it as it is needed. Uh, Speaking of the day job, it then reminded me of this job, which doesn't feel like a job because I enjoy talking to you guys so much. I do have to try to sell you something, and uh, that involves talking about our last sponsor of the night, that being our friends over at Vanish Holster. I know by now you've heard me say it a multitude of times, but I I can't impress this upon you enough. It's something you already know. The quickest path to being a victim of tyranny is to give up your guns. The fastest way to become a victim of crime, especially a violent crime, is to not have your firearm on you when you need it. And that's why I have to talk to you about that rather common mistake, and I keep I keep reminding you, it's happened to me. I've done it. I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm not being judgy. I'm coming from a point of I've been there. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been fortunate enough not to make this mistake, but a lot of us out there have. A lot of us gun owners, we pick a holster that just turns out to be so uncomfortable, we stop using it. So the instant we're in a position where we have to defend ourselves, that we have to protect our family, our friends, our neighbors, our property, whatever it is we need to protect, well, we're already at a disadvantage. So that's why we look to somebody like Vanish Holsters. Uh, They have thousands of customers that already swear they're the most comfortable holster ever. And uh, they swear that if you purchase a Vanish holster and use a Vanish holster, you'll never stop carrying. Now, that's a bold statement, but one that appears to be true based on thousands of people's testimony. Uh, I'm not going to say they're lying. (laughs) I think they're telling the truth. So here's the deal. Vanish Holsters isn't just the most comfortable holster out there. It also helps you save money. Why? You don't have to use a tactical belt to use the Vanish Holster. Well, that's a built-in uh, expense that most people don't think about till they have the holster already. It's designed to fit 99% of semi-auto handguns out there and several non-semi-auto uh, handguns. 
I mean, it works with so many different weapons. How many, I know, silly thing to ask on a radio, right? How many of you, raise of hands, have had to deal with a, a holster that you thought would fit multiple firearms and then only fit one or two? <laughs> Evidently, Doug is one of the uh, people as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it happens, guys. This is designed to fit so many, and it works so well. I, I, I can't speak highly enough about what they do. It's a great product. And uh, the one th the one knock on the company is that it's not currently being manufactured in the United States, but all the groundwork's been laid. They will be back in the United States and manufacturing in the United States before the end of 2024. So they're coming back home for that. Uh, they've just got to get through their uh, contractual obligations. All right. With that being said, let me remind you, that website to go visit, it is vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. You use that backslash T-A-P-P, you're going to activate yourself a $50 discount on whatever you order. Get on over there before the end of the show. Have it on its way to you uh, so you can start off next week with the most comfortable holster on the planet. Uh, quick programming notes. Uh, next week, next Friday, we are scheduled to be joined by Dr. Daniel Holler. Uh, he, Dr. Daniel Holler was supposed to join us previously, and we weren't able to make that happen. So he is supposed to join us next Friday. Uh, Sam Anthony, the CEO and president of Your News Media Group, is also slated to join us and in the second hour, for an extended conversation, we are slated to be joined by the author of the brand new book, The War on Whites. Mr. Ed Brodow will be joining us once again, and we're going to have an extended conversation with him, taking up the majority of that hour. But right now, we have joining us a man that I don't really need to introduce because you know him so well by now, but I'm going to introduce him anyway because he's earned that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the purveyor of the Edwards Notebook and the host of the Ron Edwards American Experience, Mr. Ron Edwards. Ron, uh, thank you for uh, hopping on here for us for just a little bit. Uh, how are you doing this evening? Did we lose Ron? <laughs> uh, okay. I guess he I don't hear him. Dang it. Well, Ron was with us for a moment, and now he's not. Maybe maybe he disconnected so he could go order a Vanish holster. Uh, was I that convincing? <laughs> uh, well, okay, well, we tried. Like I said, we had Ron for a minute. Uh, I'm assuming at this point probably some technical glitches. So be it. Uh, we'll just have to try to get Ron on again some other time, uh, is, I guess. Uh, I hate missing him. I really enjoyed uh, being a guest on Ron's show this past Monday during the Memorial Day uh, broadcast. Uh, Ron had me on, and uh, we had a pretty fun conversation. Uh, I've been sharing that on social media as well as I'm sure Ron has uh, been promoting his shows as normal. I certainly uh, had a good time. It's always a good time when uh, I and Ron get together regardless. Uh, but uh, anyway – Let's actually talk about something, you know, political and uh, news-related, shall we? Uh, Ryan's checking his microphone. Okay, so we do have a technical glitch. If 
Ron can get on with us uh, as we're quickly running out of uh, time of this remaining bit. Uh, we'll we'll connect and we'll uh, give him that opportunity. But as always, uh, if you're not already listening to the Ron Edwards American Experience, you're missing out on great programming. And uh, as I'm sure he'll be happy to tell you as well, if you're not drinking Constitutional Grounds coffee, then uh, you're missing out on some of the best coffee on the planet. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Now, a um, couple of stories that I wanted to talk with Ron about uh, when I was very hopeful that he would be uh, on with us. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, she's now been hired by Harvard. Man, oh man, I don't understand how people continue to fail upwards. I mean, I I, I kind of wish that was always the rule because when I was young and was messing up a lot because, you know, I didn't have the skills or the knowledge to do the jobs that I was trying to do when I was first learning, when I was in the earliest stages of training, man, I could have become a CEO if you could fail upwards then. Uh, if we can get him connected, Doug, just, just pipe him right in and just let me know. If we can't, we'll do whatever. Uh, is is do we have Ron? No. <laughs> Again, live radio guys. What can you do uh, when the uh, when the technology is not cooperating? It's just not cooperating. Okay, so anyway, here we have Lori Lightfoot. Quite possibly, at least up to this point, the worst mayor in the history of the city of Chicago. Now, she'll never admit that. Most Democrats will never admit that, but they kind of did already when they decided to vote for an even crazier, further to the left, loonier loon, uh, so-called progressive, uh, to replace her with. They decided they didn't want her. They I, somehow, I guess, decided she wasn't to the left enough. Is that even a possible thing? But, you know, of course, it's because all the voters of Chicago uh, hated her, and they didn't hate her because she was bad at being mayor. They didn't hate her because she pushed a lot of bad policies that made Chicago a less safe city, a less successful city. Uh, no, no. They hated her because she was a lesbian black woman. Because she's a Democrat, you see. They have to play all of the victimhood cards. If you've got more than one level of victimhood, you got to play the cards, right? She's got a winning hand. She is a woman. She does happen to be black. She does happen to be a lesbian. She also happens to look like the strange love child of Beetlejuice, but that's completely another story. Nobody hated her because of that. Uh, everybody loved the Beetlejuice movie, right? So she was a nice, happy reminder that Beetlejuice was fun. <laughs> and Doug's like, well, I don't know if I would say I loved it. Uh, I tolerated the Michael Keaton's funny in it. <laughs> but love, that's a, probably a strong word. It, it is just crazy. But Harvard. We saw a similar thing. We do have Ron. Ron, welcome aboard. Finally, sir. How are you this evening? Great. And yourself? Uh, man, I don't know what happened, but uh, I, I had to keep trying. 
Well, you know, we've had that kind of a night all night, I think. Uh, it's Friday night, and tonight it's the equipment that's decided to call it an early weekend. <laughs> Glad to have you on board, though. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to hear any of the things that we were talking about. Meanwhile, but I'd essentially had two topics I'd wanted to discuss with you. Uh, if Obviously, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but we'll get as much squeezed out of it as we can. But before we get anywhere uh real quick just so you have that opportunity uh first i want to thank you for having me on your show this past monday and second i want to make sure that you let everybody know where they can find your stuff well simply just tune in to kstartalkradio.com and you can uh, check out the rod edwards american experience so uh, we have a good time monday through friday of course uh 3 p.m eastern 2 central 12 pacific and uh boy we have uh, many exciting guests and great guests like tim tap and uh, that was a great show i love having you on when you when you're able to uh, be on uh, tim by the way the audience loves you so uh man you're gonna have to play hooky from work every once in a while <laughs> well i i will if you promise not to tell on me Rod. <laughs> i won't i'm way over All here. Right. <laughs> well we were talking uh, essentially about uh, failing upward as a Democrat, and the latest example of that being uh, Lori Lightfoot and her new job working for Harvard. Uh, oh. I'd love to get your thoughts on just that even being a thing that actually happened. Well, you know something? I thought it was bad enough when they had uh, – when Ali Obama went there and people of that ilk. But in Ali Obama's case, he was intelligent. Now they're hiring fools. Uh, I'm not hiring, but I mean they're bringing in fools to. T yeah, they are hiring her. Yeah, she's a professor yeah. over there. Yeah, she, so they're hiring fools now, and so um, uh, man, this this is just a step down. It's an indication of how our entire nation is stepping down. The standards have just gone down to the toilet, um, and uh, it, it, it's it's we could laugh at it, but when you really look at it, Tim, it's kind of a sad commentary on our times. Yeah, it really is. I mean, once upon a time, uh, when you said Harvard or Yale, you were talking about the epitome of higher education. You were talking about the schools where only the best and the brightest had a chance of being accepted, let alone attending class and earning a degree. And now it's become essentially the equivalent of a modern day clown college. I mean, that's yeah. the the level of buffoonery is, is clear. And as much as we could go on about that topic, there is another one that I definitely wanted to give you a chance to comment on as well. That being the announcement that Chris Christie is officially entering the Republican primary. And it seems pretty obvious that he's only coming in for one reason. He's coming in to try to kneecap Donald Trump. And the one thing that I, I find absolutely hilarious about it is that the more people that join this race, the more it helps Donald Trump because he's got a 40 percent base that's absolutely positively not going anywhere. We even talked about that a little bit the last time we were together. 40 percent base not going anywhere. So all you're doing is diluting the number of potential voters for the challengers. We know Mike Pence is probably going to join in the race next week. I don't think that's going to be very much of a factor. In fact, I think <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be a bigger factor down the line and will probably end up being a high uh, possibility as a VP. But uh, 
I mean, it's clear cut. Chris Christie is being paid to come in to be a hired gun to just try to to take cheap shots at Donald Trump. I don't think it's going to be effective. But the fact that this is still something that's done in modern politics, uh, yeah, what what's your feelings on this? Well, Chris Christie is the is, is a non-factor. The only impact he has is if he falls over, he could cause an earthquake. Other than <laughs> that, uh, there's no problem. The real problem is DeSantis. DeSantis is playing the same role as Teddy Roosevelt played when uh, he undermined um, uh, Howard Taft. Howard Taft was a conservative. He was a uh, constitutionalist, loved the country, and he was sincere. Teddy Roosevelt, who was at one time his best friend, became very incensed about that and uh, got into the race to divide the vote. And he was willing, like many Republicans today, more willing to have a lunatic like Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, come in rather than having a faithful constitutional Christian uh, like our Ted. Now, I don't know the level of, of, of Donald Trump's Christian walk, but I know he is a Christian and he's sincere about his love for the country. And he's already backed that up with, with many great actions. Uh, and yes. so that's more the role of... Um, the effective, the only person that's potentially effective in this uh, to undermine Trump is is DeSantis, but he will not win. He's not going to get more votes than Trump in the primary. So, my problem with all of this, including Mr. Heavy Duty, is the Republicans. They know that they can't beat the Trump. The Trumps. Here's the thing: they want to waste all their capital on this primary, so that they will not have as much to run with. Um, in, in, in the uh, in the real election. Um, so that's the problem. They want to waste their capital on BS, knowing they're not going to beat the Trumps during this. What they should be doing, if they really were sincere, would be to hold their capital, say, we're not going to have a primary, no one can beat the Trumpster, but we need to coalesce and so we can beat the Democrats because Democrats can win even if you stay in the basement, all over all the time and can barely talk right well Well, all you need is a teleprompter that uh doesn't give weird uh, conversation tips like you know the side note saying to step to the side uh and you know you're gonna just read it instead of follow the instruction um and of course if a sandbag shows up somewhere some random sandbag (laughs) oh no look out it bit him Uh, hey but tim can i say something real quick yeah. About what what can undermine the Trump, uh, the possible Trump presidency is something that the, the Republicans did. And I think it's to, it's the reason why McCarthy did what he did when he went into the White House and he grabbed his ankle uh, and let uh, Hakeem Jeffries become basically the the leader uh, of, of the House, basically by default. The Republicans had a decent bill. It wasn't great, but it was decent enough where had they held on to that, pushed that, forced Biden's hand, had a decent bill. When Trump came in in, 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 in 2025, boom, he could easily reset things. Now what has happened is that even if Trump gets elected now and he assumes office in 2025, He's not going to be able to do a lot of the things that he could have easily come in and done to set America quickly back on the road to greatness. 
they are setting out to systematically allow the Biden administration to destroy this economy. If you, I don't know if you've seen any of the details of this agreement, this, this debt agreement. It is deadly. It, it gives Biden everything he wanted. Now, people have been laughing about him and his gaffes, his falling over. But guess what? He is getting what he wants. He's getting what he has wanted for 50 years. This man has been on a march of destruction since he first got off in office in 1972. And that's the truth, the God, God's honest truth. And yeah. so here is a man with half his brain literally tied behind his back, doing more on for his behalf. And the Democrats who, are, who know how to play hardball, they hold on to their principles. But the Republicans should change their name to the cavers, the cavers <laughs> or the ankle grabbers, because they're more willing to set us all up because they don't they do not respect you, Tim, me, any of the, the, the great American people. They don't respect us, but they do respect the Democrats and they give the Democrats everything they want, including their backsides. Um, and, and the proof of that is what happened. They had a yeah. great bill and they, he walks in and says, oh, oh, Jeffries, Jeffries, whatever you want. Oh, Biden, you too. Take what you want. Oh, and that's exactly what happened. And at, at whose expense? They're not laughing at uh, McCarthy. They're laughing at we the people because they know we we have been royally, I mean royally screwed uh, to yeah. the nth degree. And that's yeah, the problem. I, I, I think it's uh, Dan Bongino that says that a lot of Republicans are really Democrats, no Democrats mm -hmm. are really Republicans. And the fact that there is literally until after the next election – zero debt limit it means that they're talking about elevating a certain dollar amount no uh, there is no spending limit they're going to charge the credit card as far as they can it is absolutely absurd and you're right that's just one of the really bad parts of the deal but ron we are already out of time believe it or not and uh, it just really really sucks when the technology creates an even shorter amount of time than we normally get we'll have to get together and do it again soon uh we won't be able to next friday but if you're available friday after that i'll open up and extend time if you're down for it well Just, i'll uh, be here let's know all right in the meanwhile ladies and gentlemen remember don't take my word for it don't take ron's word for it uh you know go do your own research uh, the truth is out there as they used to say on the x-files just remember it is a matter of using your brain if you really want to tap into the truth that's it for tonight everybody have a great freaking fantastic weekend and come back next week as we will hit on all cylinders i'm out of here
using both hands Founders knew the second amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Maloney, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands. Well, I prefer the three oh eight to the tiny two to three. Gives me more than a thousand yards to take my family. Using both hands.